0: Well, you can be seated this morning. Thank you to our worship team. Sure appreciate, yeah, sure appreciate what they do. And. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Um, as we're just a few weeks away from Christmas, if you, if you didn't realize that, just wanted to give you a heads up. <laughs> Whether you're here at Twin Cities Church Building or maybe you're watching online or catching this on a podcast, maybe you're over at Escaton Village, welcome, our little church plant we have going on over there. Uh, even if you're over at Wayne Brown Correctional Facility. I'm looking at the camera right now. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are. We're glad that we're here. We actually have Twin Cities in a number of places. So we especially love it, you being here, but we're glad for all of you for joining us here um, along the way here. So, well, we're continuing our December series when we've been looking at Jesus as our King. And last week, Pastor Ron set up the fact that we are in this inside of this series, there's going to be a three-week kind of a mini-series tucked in. where we're looking at th- one of... Each week, one of each of Jesus's three roles that he takes as as a prophet and priest and king. Now, last week... Ron talked about Jesus's role as prophet, what that meant, and today we're going to be looking at Jesus as priest and the significance of that, and so we're going to um, take a look at that, and in fact, that's your first fill in the blank if you want to do your outlines there. Jesus takes three roles as prophet, priest, and king, and I had you write in priest because that indeed is the one we're going to focus on today. The whole series is talking about Jesus's kingship. He came as a king, and yet the fact is that he's a king of sacrifice, which really points to the fact that he was a priest, so there we and we're going to be looking at Jesus not just as any priest, but as, yes, the high priest, and, uh, and, and just as we're getting started, though, I have to say it leads us to a very simple question. As I started doing research this week, it led me to some interesting places. First of all, I had to think, you know, if some of us would sit here and say, what in the world is a high priest? I mean, just flat out, what is that in detail? On the surface, it may sound like a priest that's just very tall, right? Or one who's up on a platform who's very high, or maybe it's one who has a drug problem, I don't know. I don't don't want to sound irreverent there. But again, the high priest is, it just sounds kind of like, well, what is exactly people in our era and our culture? That might not be clear. So we're going to spend some time on that today because the purpose... The purpose of the high priest is incredibly incredibly important to understand as we look to embrace the fullness of Jesus. So we're going to dig in a little bit. We're going to be using a number of verses from the book of Hebrews today. And, and that New Testament book is full of chapter after chapter talking about Jesus as our high priest, way beyond what we're going to do today. So if you want to, if this intrigues you today, you can go to the book of Hebrews on your own and spend some time studying through there this next week, whatever. The book of Hebrews was actually written to... The Hebrews, it's kind of one of those easy to figure out why it's titled that, the people of Israel, Jews, and and they had a full understanding of the high priest, who he was, what his role was, uh, all of the priests, but especially the high priest role, it was really a part of their life, and so they understood that those immediate readers would totally understand the meanings and the implications of what is written there. Most of us, however, we don't have that context. And so when we see high priest, we kind of go, oh, high priest, and we move on and we get a feeling that that's like a super spiritual guy or something, right? But uh, today we're going to dig in a little bit. So as you look on your outline, uh, we're going to fill in some blanks and we're going to take some time to, to, to dig. A bit. so first of all, the role of the high priest is to build a bridge to build a bridge through sacrifice to bring people into close relationship with God. And so the high priest really is a bridge builder. And, of course, we're not talking about a physical bridge builder here with wood or bricks or something. But we're going to look at this a lot in a few minutes. But for now, I just want to point to this important, most important role of the priest. He did a number of things, all of them pretty intense. But uh, building a bridge between people and God through offering sacrifices, uh, allowing for a close, intimate relationship between God and people. That was the primary role. But that whole idea right there against, can lead us to a bunch of questions, starting with what you see on your outline. Do we, do we really even need a high priest? I mean, honestly, do we need one? It sounds very old-fashioned, doesn't it? Kind of something from like the ancient olden days, right? Or or something from a movie that can get kind of mystical and weird, you know? Some mysterious dude in a black robe, maybe a hood, and they've got candles and making funny chants, and he's doing stuff. I'm like, okay, that, you know, it sounds like one of those movie sorts of things. So what does that have to do with us here today? We're smack dag in the middle of the 21st century. We are in the enlightened Western culture, after all, whatever that means. Does any of this really matter? Does it apply to us today? Well, to answer that question, we're going to need to take a step back in time and a step back to see really the big picture. And we're going to do that. And uh, again, as we'll follow along your outline, if you want to, the need for a high priest begins with understanding the fact right back to the beginning that sin, sin separates us from God. It separates us from God, from His light, from His holiness. See, God created us to be in that intimate relationship with Him because He wanted that perfect relationship with Him, but sin entered the picture. And it did that not on his terms, but on ours. Sin entered when we decided we wanted to live for ourselves, and that was rebellion against God, and we became blemished. The Bible calls it sin. So that imperfection separates us from this still perfect and holy God, because he remains that way, so pure, and the relationship was then broken, tragically. Now that goes all the way back, but we exist in that reality today. The Bible points this out in many places, but I grabbed a verse that I thought really painted a beautiful picture today. I think sometimes seeing things in pictures is very helpful for us. So many verses in the Old and New Testament that talk about what sin does to separate us from God. But here's a great picture in Isaiah 59.2. It says, your iniquities, that's another term for transgressions, for sins. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you see, kind of get this picture—not just separation, but man, God's face, which I, I want to see and I want to—I want to know God, but it's—it's it's, it's hazy. It's gone, and then—and then even me hearing Him, Him hear, hearing me. Oh, this isn't good. You know what I mean? There, there's a separation that—that that actually means something, not just a long distance, but—but but the whole relationship then is broken apart. So God's desire for close relationship with us was pushed aside by our own bad choices. Yes, all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden, but. I've never met anyone who really argues have you yourself sinned, right? So we're in that same condition ourselves. God's desire was pushed aside by our own choices, and that leads us to the next step. You see, rather than simply obliterate us for our sin, God's saying, bad choice, it done. Or simply just kind of giving up and going, you know what? I'm just, I'm out of here. You're on your own. God didn't do that. He says, I want to continue to pursue relationship with you. Yes, it's going to be a less intimate relationship. It's not going to be as close. It can't be because of the fact that you are sinful beings. But he wants to pursue that. And he did that, ready, by putting into place the office of priests. Yes, we're going all the way back thousands of years into the Old Testament. So priests, your next one in your outline, they were established to be mediators between us and God. Starts with perfect relationship, our own sin separates, and God says, I want to build a bridge back. There needs to be a mediator to try to make this relationship happen on some level. And so he established the office of priest. Now, I'm going to read a few verses of Leviticus. This comes from one of those sections that if you've read the Bible, you get Genesis, cool, there's some history, Exodus, fun, and then Leviticus, "Er, this is really hard. It's verse after verse. Verse, chapter after chapter of law and detail, and you're like, why is that here? It's actually there for very, very, very good reasons. I'm not going to read very much so I don't lose you, but I want to help you understand as God establishes the role of the priest here in Leviticus 9, 6 and 7, and it says this, Moses is talking to Aaron, the first of the royal priesthood that God sets up, royal, but I mean first of the priesthood, and Moses said in, in Leviticus 9, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, talking to Aaron and the first priest's that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. In other words, God is gone from us, but what we want to do is try to get some sort of a feel and relationship with God, that he may appear, and you need to do certain things. And then Moses said to Aaron, "'Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering.'" and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself, and for the people, and bring the offering of the people, and make atonement for them, as the Lord has commanded, so it goes into great amount of detail, in terms of the size, and the shape, and the times, and the places, and all that sort of stuff about all this, because it's very important to God, you see, God is a God of justice, and he cares very much about righteousness, and and things being done in a right way for him, and so there's a lot of established details to follow, to make this happen, but But this is really what the priests were about. In order to bring God and his glory to the people, the priests were to make atonement through sacrifices. Now, I thought about just skipping over the word atonement, finding a translation that kind of gives a different word. But the reality is many of us have Bibles that say atonement. We go, huh? So I want to just give you just a little mini digest on atonement itself. The English word for atonement, it's up there in the verse. If you look at it, it literally is atonement. One-ment. If you had a hyphen in there, at one mint or at one with. If you had one mint or being at one with something else, okay? And so being in harmony with someone. Well, really it comes from the Hebrew word for atonement, which is kippur. Have you heard of that holiday yom kippur? Yama's day, day of atonement. That's this day that we're going to talk about today. It's Kippur, and it simply means to cover, to purge, to make reconciliation. So to cover over here. And so what we have is God's righteous judgment on sinful mankind is covered over, is covered over, and, and you're brought into relationship, and it's covered over through sacrifice. Okay, so we're going to unpack this a little bit, but when you see atonement, you can simply think cover, or to kind of bring into one with God through sacrifice. Now, we're talking about priests here to try to understand this, and, and we need to go historic a little bit here. There were many types of priests and temple servants back in, the, back in the old days in biblical times that were serving God uh, and with and a number of different duties. Some of them got to do some pretty cool things, got to be very involved in the hands-on parts of the sacrifices. Others of them did things not, a little bit, you know, not quite as glamorous, a little more mundane. You had, you had temple servants and priests that did things like um, watch the gates. You know, gates coming. Sorry, you can't go in there. This is only for, you know, whatever. just simply like a gate a gate guard. There were others that got to, uh, I say got to, but they got to carry in the wood for the sacrifices. They were the, the wood carriers. Hi, I'm the wood carrier priest. Who are you? You know, that's, you know, you're carrying the wood that the others are using to burn for the sacrifices and that going on. All kinds of different roles. But. But even if their individual role wasn't glamorous, all the different things, all the different duties, everybody, all the priests were involved in this whole process of being mediators between people and God, this bridge builder's. Now, I want to take a closer look at the temple in some detail so we can better understand the role of a high priest and our need for a high priest. And so for some of you, you've done some of this study yourself. Some of you, this is brand new. Some of this will be fascinating to many of you and others. I, I don't want to lose you, so we're going to keep it moving. And very. I had people I first service say, I got it, which that's the goal here. Um, I'm going to show you some pictures. But here's the deal. We can talk about Jesus as a high priest and go, yeah, yeah, Whatever. But to really understand what was like back then for hundreds and thousands of years, daily and weekly, monthly and annually for God's people and what that really means to us now is just huge. So I'm going to throw some pictures up there and talk briefly. This was the tabernacle. This was the first temple, a temple on wheels, so to speak. God leads his people, this is in Exodus, he leads his people out of Egypt, Moses is the leader, right, Moses and Aaron, and so he creates this place as they travel where God's going to reside, the Ark of the Covenant, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you see a little picture of that, but the golden plated thing, and God's presence is there and inside, and anyway, so that's inside the building, but this was kind of, caught, figure it like a portable temple. That's really what goes on and all the different things. The sacrifices would take place, et cetera. So I'm I'm not going to go into detail, but there is a look at a rendering of what the tabernacle, if you've heard that word, would be. Think portable temple. When they settled in Jerusalem, it wasn't until years later that Solomon himself was able to build a permanent temple. The same thing except prettier. More expensive, took more time, more permanent, et cetera. You have still outer courtyards, inner courtyards, et cetera, through that. But now you have the big dog in Jerusalem, permanent temple that was going on. Really the same thing in God's plan for his presence and to be a way, again, for priests to interact, to bring God closer to people. Let's go to the next slide. Now, unless you're up close, you don't have a prayer scene seeing this, and I'm not going to tell you what all that stuff is, okay? So don't worry if you're in the back. You're like, overkill. I thought I wasn't going to school. I'm going to go to sleep or I'm out of here. What I'm going to do is this. I'm barely going to refer to this. I'm going to make an analogy from this to our church building here. Because I want to help you understand not just the layout for interest's sake, but There is a need for us to get close to God, and the reality is, I think today we sometimes go, hey, God, God's right there, and I want us to understand what it was like for the people for thousands of years as they attempted to seek God. See, how many of you are of Jewish Jewish descent? You would say, yes, I'm Jewish, I have Hebrew blood, significantly. Raise your hand real high, that's something to be proud of. By the way, good, there's a number of hands, good, you put your hands down. By the way, if you're a follower of Jesus, we have been grafted into that line, and again, it's just something to be very proud of. If you are not a Hebrew of Jewish descent, which is most of us because our hands didn't go up, when you come to church this morning, you got a chance to park, and as you came up to the patio area, that was as far as you could go. You could not even come into the church building, okay? God's inside, deep inside, as you'll see, but that's as close as you could get to God, so you get to hang out outside. Hopefully, the coffee pots got moved outside, so you had some coffee, but that was it. There'd be Jewish people out there too mingling coming and going, things happening, and money changers later on in Jesus' day were selling stuff out there, the animals and all that stuff. But that's outside and for most of us that's as far as we could go. If you happened to be happened to be, if you were Jewish and you were coming, you could actually come inside the building into the lobby. That would be that the right side, that courtyard. That was called the women's court because if you were Jewish and a woman, that's as far as you could go. Okay, so you're now in the lobby. You're saying, man, I'm coming to church. This is it, okay? But yeah, you got past the Gentiles, right? You got into the lobby area, everything that went on there, a number of different things. Now, if you were a Jewish male and, 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 and you could actually take one more step, you could come in the doors and we'll call it the balcony, like maybe the upper, upper level of the balcony. I know those are great seats for church, but for the rest of these purposes, you get a feeling that you're into the main courtyard, but you're barely in and you have to stay way over there, Okay. Jewish men, you're able to do that. Now, this whole area on the floor, now you're into this, just the the blue line is where the men could be. Now you see to the left of it, there is the altar and a ramp. There's the slaughterhouses, as it says. The men could watch what the priests did out in this main courtyard area. This is where the sacrifices, the daily sacrifices happen. Multiple sacrifices every day, read through Leviticus. All kinds of things going on, activity for different purposes. We're not going to go there today. But that's as close as the most holy Jewish man would ever get to God in terms of God's presence unless he was a priest. He could watch the priest's duties here. They'd be involved in some of the daily sacrifices that would go on, but that would be it. You could come in for a period of time, and then you'd have to leave. That was your experience. Okay, So if you were a priest, you were involved down here. You were do- Some of the side gates bringing in the wood, we talked about that. This, the sacrifices, daily sacrifices are going on. There's a raised altar on earth, by the way. They would bring it up here onto a raised altar that was prescribed by God. A little bit of an analogy towards Jesus who was going to be lifted up and hung on a cross, raised up high in Golgotha on a raised place. All of that was intentional. God had all this planned out. What happened on a raised altar, that's that brown area. Now... That's as far as you could see only for Jewish men. Most of us are still outside hoping it's not too cold and that there's coffee out there, right? So the little blue circle, that's a little wash basin. What would happen? The priests then could, if they weren't doing sacrifices, they could go inside the actual building, the main building part, although, you know, this is all here, and they would go into it, and it was called, I'll call this up here on the stage. You'd have to picture that there's a wall, so our, our area breaks down. There's a wall right here, they could actually come into this. This would, be called, this, is, this would be called the part of the temple, the holy place, okay? Now, you guys can't go there, and you guys can't see there. None of us are going in there because none of us are priests. I'm talking never, ever Ever, ever, ever going in there. You just know that it's in there, and there's teachings in scripture about what's in there, but you'll never see it. Inside the holy place, the priests would come. This would be part of more of their more intent duties. To the left side, there would be a menorah. If you've again someone's go, like, Oh, yeah, I've heard of those things. It's a seven candles on a solid gold lampstand that was there, and there's all kinds of symbolism. We don't have time. But it was mostly there because it's dark in there, right? We don't have electricity, and they come into this the holy place, and there would be this candle stand of seven candles burning for some light. Over here, there would be what they would call the showbread, shoebread or showbread. There'd be tw- on a small table, plated in gold. God had prescription for every single thing and the size and all that stuff because it's very important to God Everything that we do that has a chance for us to be in relationship. There's 12 loaves of bread, one for each tribe of Israel. Again, analogies, God, Jesus chose 12 disciples, completeness, all that. These loaves of bread were baked by the priests. See, I guess we had baker priests too. You're a gatekeeper, priest? I'm a baker. Anyway, so baked by the priest. They would be here 24-7 around the clock for a week. At the end of a week's time, the priest in coming in would actually take the bread away, put new bread on, representing God's constant presence and blessing upon Israel and then they were, they were told that they had to eat the bread. So once a week, they're not getting day-old bread, they're getting week old bread through the process. But that was going on there. So you've got the candles, you've got the show bread, and right back here, and now I would, it's almost like backstage, except if you've been in the groom, that is nothing like the holiest place. <laughs> so, but cause just because it's cluttered, I mean they do a great job back there, but that would almost be the priest could come inside in the darkness and have some duties in here. Then there's this huge curtain, and inside there is not the holy place, but the most holy place, called the Holy of Holies. There is a huge curtain that is a division between the holy place and the most holy place. In there was one simple item, the Ark of the Covenant the ark. It was called the mercy seat. The Shekinah glory of God existed there. Of course, God is everywhere, but his very active presence was there in light and smoke, depending, and was right there on this ark, okay? The Shekinah glory of God fully present inside there, and no one ever saw it. No one could get close to it except... One day of the year, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest, one man, and he'd stay high priest until he died, so one man for his lifetime could go in there one day a year. Let me stop. Why bother to go through all this? Some of you, this is fascinating. Some of you are like, eh. Do you understand that if there's any desire to be close by God, to God, you didn't have a chance? You're outside, you're maybe in the lobby. At the very best, you're up in the balcony. You're outside of the holy place, and and no one goes into the most holy place but the one dude, the high priest, and that's one time a year. God wants to have relationship, but our sin is, is separating us that much. Let me talk about the high priest real quick. Let me throw up a picture of of his ceremonial outfits. All of these things mean things. I'm not going to go into that. There's huge significance of all of that. But just to say God prescribed exactly the sizes, the colors, the shapes, what he did, the roles, the functions. Because this guy is representative of the entire nation of Israel to bring them before God. And the biggest issue to make atonement, to put that covering, to basically seek forgiveness of an entire years of sins for the entire nation. Okay, so let me talk about the high priest. He's the head of the priest. He has other roles, but that one day a year, it was huge. He got to go into the Holy of Holies, and I think, what a privilege. I get to the one day a year that I get to go in, and I'm the only guy that will ever go there, and I could die if I do it wrong. God said in such great detail, you do this, and you do this, you do it this way, this time, and all these amounts of details, and if you have a bad heart or you do something wrong and you're careless about something, you're going to die. And in fact, tradition has it that they would tie bells on the high priest and a rope around him, because as long as they were hearing the bells, they would know he's still alive. If they stopped hearing the bells, like, man, the high priest has been in there a long time. He's dead, and we have to, you can't go in there to get the body, because you'd die. See, this is a big deal, isn't it? They'd pull him out by the rope. That's your only chance. The high priest would go through a huge, elaborate series of things to do. Everybody eventually gets shooed, shooed, shooed. They got pushed out of the temple, and he had to cleanse the altar, had to cleanse himself. He'd start by washing himself and putting on brand the brand new clean garments, and then there'd be cleansing of the altar of the other, and then all this stuff going on, and he would first have to make atonement cover his own sins for himself and his family by butchering an ox, and that blood would get sprinkled inside the holy place, and it And eventually inside the Holy of Holies, there. And then there would be two goats that would be pulled. The oxen and the two goats, those three animals were perfect males, as as perfect as they can be, because nothing's perfect, right, except God. But those would happen. The the oxen would be butchered for him, and they'd have to clean the oxen. All these things that he'd have to do. I, I, I want this to be overwhelming. Holy cow. This is simply to try to have forgiveness. Every year you got to do this and do it perfectly right. And this is simply because God wants to be close to us and didn't give up on us. The two goats, one of them, the, uh, one of them would get slaughtered and that blood would be, the, the ox was for him and his family. It sounds like he must have had a lot of sin, the big ox, and the goat was for the whole nation. The second goat, the high priest was to lay his hands upon it, signifying the sins of the entire nation of Israel through faith, through involvement. You saying, yes, that's what I want. The hand would go on the goat through a prayer, and the sins would be transferred in essence onto the goat. And that goat, called a scapegoat, by the way, would get led out into the wilderness a long, long, long ways away and let go. The other goat was slaughtered by the high priest and the blood taken inside to the holy place. Before he goes through the curtain, the third item in the holy place is incense. It's a big altar of incense, different from the slaughtering altar. This altar is burning incense around the clock. Twice a day they would light new incense, fragrant aroma to God, reminding us of God's presence and also pleasing to God. And he would have to get a whole bunch of extra fire and put a bunch of incense and fire on it so that it would create this huge cloud of smoke. And then he would carry that into the holy of holies, the most holy place. You see, he couldn't, even with all these conditions and the robes and the the cleansing and all that, if he walked in there and looked upon the ark without the cloud, he would probably die. The glory of God would just be too much, okay? So, this, so the one guy is going in there, probably with bells on him, rope tied around his waist, having gone through all this stuff. He's bringing in a cloud, and he's praying like crazy. I hope I did this right. I hope, and I hope this is pleasing to God. I hope this goat, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. blood on the left side, blood in front of, you know, the whole thing that would go on, and then and then he would come out, and then it would be an equally long ritual of cleansing, cleansing himself again and all the different things that would go on. One day a year, one time, um, this whole ritual would happen, and it would happen year after year after year. And that high priest would do it until he could no longer do it. And often then it was passed down to in, within the family, uh, not always Uh, but would be within the family to do that. So um, a huge role for him. This guy was like very key. There were times in Israel's history when he was also the king, kind of the leader of the nation, because he had huge responsibility. But I started to think about it, and even with all that formality, all that care and attention to detail, God was still off limits to the people, if I could put it that way. Think about it. He goes through all of that just for that one-shot deal, just to appease God, to allow relationship to happen for a year, but you're still stuck outside the church. That's the closest you can get to God. You're hoping that all this works and goes well, so that God will put up with you for another year. In a sense, God was still off limits. He was still be hidden behind that veil of holiness, separated from us. That huge curtain. That was as close. He was as close as he could be, all things considered. But one high priest, one day a year, you know, go to gets to approach God's mercy seat and seek to receive God's mercy, God's throne. That was it. So his careful actions, his attitudes, all that would allow people to experience temporary forgiveness. They still couldn't draw close. So when you talk about the high priest, the people that are reading Hebrews know exactly what he's talking about. All of this and more. I've just touched on it. So when they start talking about Jesus being a high priest, we're like, do you understand a little bit more of what the setup was and what ritual was and and what was going on? And it wasn't just ritual tradition. It's what had to happen So everything changed when God revealed his original plan, which was like, you know, this high priest, this human high priest was never meant to be the answer. The real high priest, the perfect high priest, Jesus, I'm going to send my son to come and accomplish everything that the imperfect human high priest attempted to do, but at a whole nother level, right? So let's take a look now back into your outline here. Jesus takes the forever role of high priest All that history, hopefully to help us understand, is Jesus steps into the role of high priest. But he's a very different high priest, that next little blank to fill in, in so many ways. I even started thinking about it. You know, here you had this high priest dressed in all these fancy clothes and all this stuff. And I think about Jesus and his moment of sacrifice. He was dirty, wearing nothing, most scholars believe, by the time he was crucified. Bloody, stinky, you know, just human. A little different, huh? But he was perfect. He was perfect. So the differences are things like this. He didn't need to cleanse himself as he was perfect. He didn't have to go through all of that ritual. He himself was truly perfect inside and out. Next, he didn't make the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. He didn't have to find the perfect goat. He was a perfect lamb, right? He was that sacrifice. Um, He only needed to do it once, not repetitively. It wasn't the daily sacrifice. It wasn't the annual thing. He did it once. The Bible talks about that a lot. Once for all. And then it wasn't short-term and only attempted appeasement, but it was permanent and complete. This one sacrifice that was made over 2,000 years ago was it. It was it. It was one time. It was permanent and complete. Um, Jesus didn't die and pass the baton to the next high priest, which is what happened uh, for them, and in fact, it kind of made me smile a little bit. If, if you've heard of Caiaphas, he was the, the acting high priest at the time that Jesus was crucified. Was right towards. In fact, he was very instrumental in killing Jesus. Very, very instrumental in that. Had he only realized that in killing Jesus, he was putting himself out of business. Think about it. You know, the second Jesus died, it's like we don't need you anymore. It's done. You're the imperfect hoping to make this through, doing what God prescribes. But all along, you were simply paving the way for Jesus, and yet you're the one who's helping, him ki- help, helping kill him. There was no longer any need for another high priest. Jesus rose from the dead. He lives eternally, so he's at the right hand of God right now, being our mediator, actively doing that. So Hebrews, we talked about Hebrews chapter 7 says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Okay, let's stop before you've glossed over that. You understand what that's talking about now. The head of the priests, yes, all sort of formal and royal, uh, you know, really extensive functions, but primarily the guy who was looking ahead to that one time a year. It was indeed fitting we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained holy innocent unstained separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens he has no need like those other high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself i start reading verses like this and it takes on a new color and a new a new understanding for me when i put it in context of what we just talked about here this is my high priest who went through all of this for me and because Jesus is the perfect once-for-all sacrifice, the perfect high priest, things change for us. How do they change? Well, first of all, Jesus makes God completely accessible to me. He brings me close. So there's a closeness part of it. That's the second one, right? Jesus makes God completely accessible to me. He, br- he brings me close. So that's the next ones. But go ahead and fill in accessible to me. He brings me close. And in Hebrews 7, 23 to 25, it says this the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. It happens to all of us, right? The death part. (laughs) But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Talking about Jesus. Consequently, he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Draw near to God, the bringing of of closeness there, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So Jesus does that. Now, I want to paint one more picture here. Before Jesus willingly sacrificed his life on the cross, all people were separated from God, everybody, okay? And that was seen by that huge curtain that hung between the holy place and the most holy place. Now, I kind of just mentioned the curtain, but um, I'm going to go over here actually to show our curtain. And I don't know, I'm guessing that this is maybe 30 feet high up to the top here. You guys don't even really see these, but we have curtains back here for various functions. People can hide back there and keep light out and all the things that we do theatrically and all that. So these curtains are maybe about 25, 30 feet high, best guess. And um, you can see they're fairly heavy for the function that they have, but they're, I don't know, it's a quarter inch, maybe a half inch thick through this. But I'm telling you, they just have to take my word for it. They're fairly heavy, and, and this one's, I don't know, 10 or 20 feet, you know, go going that direction. The, most experts feel like, believe that the temp, that the veil that was between the holy place and where God's presence was, was 60 feet tall, because that's what the size of the temple was supposed to be, was 60 feet tall, and he, uh, Hebrew tradition has it that it was four inches thick, unbelievably ornate, involving three different colors of threads, there's embroidered uh, angels, cherubim into it and stuff, so this is beautiful, because God deserves the best, doesn't he? Incredibly heavy, not just to say, hey, beautiful, and God deserves it, but also to, so you know, don't accidentally stumble in there at some time and die, right? It's this big barrier that's there, okay? So this is this huge veil that's here that the one time a year, the one guy would go through. That's this, this, uh, this veil that's here uh, in the process. But listen what happened the very moment Jesus died on the cross. I'm going to read it out of Mark, although it appears in several of the Gospels. Mark 15, 37 says this, And Jesus, on the cross, he uttered a loud cry and breathed his last And the curtain of the temple, there was only one curtain. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. (laughs) Thank you. Did you catch that? Top to bottom. It's 60 feet tall. It weighs hundreds if not thousands of pounds. It's too tall for some man to climb up there. And if he did, he sure isn't going to be able to tear it right, this big, thick, heavy curtain, and it happens like that the moment Jesus died, but most importantly, it wasn't needed anymore. God did it as a miracle because it wasn't needed anymore. You know, it's like this separation. Because of Jesus, there's no more separation, and I wondered what the priests who might have been in the temple that day must have thought and felt. You know, they're, they're out here doing their stuff. Maybe a bunch of them were at the cross mocking Jesus and stuff, but they're doing what they're doing. It's a regular day at the temple, Okay, that's going on here. So they're doing the duties. Maybe there were some inside the up here in the holy place, and all of a sudden Jesus breathes his last, and it had to make a huge sound. This, this rip, this, and curtain goes, and I imagine their eyes go like this. I'm gonna die. I'm toast. I'm not the high priest, and even if I am and was, it's not the day of atonement. It's not the Yom Kippur day. I'm toast. The presence of God, I'm I'm a goner. You know, run for it! You know, everybody, this this huge, horrible feeling of, it's not supposed to be like this, except it's the new normal. It is. In Jesus Christ, it is. God said, I always wanted it this way. They have total and permanent access to God if they would only believe it in many ways did not. So not no longer is it the one high priest the one day a year who goes through all that preparation and then then can't even then can't look clearly at God, right, because of all the smoke and stuff. It's not that way anymore. That same priest who feared for his very life if he didn't prepare properly, because Jesus is our high priest now. Jesus has that role, he fulfilled that role and he acts in that role. We can draw close to God he can draw close to us intimately, permanently, completely. It's it's what God has wanted all along. So Jesus made that sacrifice. And it's inseparable, this baby king that came, yay, joy to the world and the first Noel and all. that. baby king is the high priest who did what he did. He was born so that he could make this sacrifice and give up his life on the cross to bring us to access to God. Now, secondly, because Jesus was our perfect high priest, our once for all sacrifice. Jesus then makes me completely acceptable to God. He makes me clean. So he makes God accessible to us and makes us close. That was the first one. Now he, uh, Jesus makes me completely acceptable to God and he makes me clean. Okay. So this is huge. This is so important. You see, We do have full access to God now through Jesus. That's if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And by the way, if if you've not made a decision to follow Jesus with your life, you're here checking things out and you're not quite sure. All of this is what is available to you. But just like the priest would put his hand on the goat and say, symbolically, this is a faith thing, just as men and their daily sacrifices put their hand on the animal to say, I'm identifying with what is happening what God says is put your hand on Jesus as the high priest in a sense, and and put your faith and trust in him so you can receive the power and the blessings of what goes on there. That's a choice that you make of faith, not an activity. You don't have to work for it, but that's something that can happen for you, and I'd encourage you to make that decision today. But not only does that happen to bring us close, but you see, we have full access to God if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, but Even if you're a follower of Jesus, I've found that many of us don't feel worthy of being in His presence. Notice I said feel. You kind of look at yourself and just where you're at, and like you know, I can get close to God, but I just I don't think He wants to get close to me. I mean, come on, it's me, right? And you kind of I kind of stink. I don't necessarily mean physically, but just my, my who I am. We don't feel good enough. We don't feel worthy. So access is great. Access is great. It's unbelievable, but we're um, but we aren't so sure we're accepted completely. Okay, yeah, I can get close to God, but I just don't know that he really wants that. We don't feel clean. But in Hebrews 4, it says this, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to, high priest, we're talking about Jesus. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus says, you think that your sin or you think that your difficulties are getting in the way. Jesus says, I've been there. I've not sinned, but I've had those temptations. I can sympathize with your weakness. It goes on to say, Jesus, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin, let us then, with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, this is so important. God doesn't just open the curtain to give us complete and full access And then have us stand back because we're afraid of getting too close because we're just not very clean and worthy. It says, come, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. You can be right here so that you can find everything you need to live your life. Opening the curtain kind of opened up the sun and like, ooh, the blinding sun, cool, but... But God says, well, I also want to bring the light of the sun to you. I want to let the warmth of the healing rays of the sun get to you. And, and uh, he brings that to us, down to us. Jesus has a role as a mediator as he sits at the right hand of God, as he advocates for us daily, constantly, as well as he gives us Not just to say, hey, you're okay. Through me, you are pure, you're clean. You can come with confidence here. You're not going to get zapped and need to be pulled out by a a rope, right? But he says, I want to also give you the strength and the power and the ability to live for me. He says, it isn't just about getting that get out of jail, free card, yeah, I'm going to heaven and get my sins forgiven, but but new life and a different life that you can live for me now. See, he's acceptable to us. God is through Jesus, and, and we're acceptable to him through Jesus, because he is our perfect and forever high priest. So here's the bottom line as I close. First, let's realize the privilege that we have to enter so freely into relationship with him. Realize that privilege every moment. We we don't have to stand outside the temple or in the outer courts or out in the parking lot or something, but we can just come right on and, and have that access at any time, at any moment, and that is huge. Second, as a result of that, say thanks. Have a a feeling of thankfulness and and express that. Let's thank Jesus for making that sacrifice. Again, that baby Jesus came so that he could die, so he could make that sacrifice. And so Christmas morning takes on a whole new different spin here. My baby high priest, my baby high priest, who's going to make the sacrifice once and then make things so much better. And I want to say thank you for that. And finally, then, I just want to ask you and encourage you to allow him to be your high priest. Allow him to be your high priest. Whether you've made a decision for Jesus or not, if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, that's what the invitation is, to receive the forgiveness and the cleansing. And just as the people chose to identify with the high priest sacrifice as he laid hands on, we need to do the same. Claim the sacrifice for yourself by, basically, it's a believing and receiving thing. I want to believe in you, Jesus, and receive everything you have for me as my high priest. But beyond that, for those of you who have made a decision for Jesus... Allowing him to be your high priest is receiving the cleansing and then claiming the freedom that he gives you to be close to him and to stay close to him. See, he forgives you, follower of Jesus, and so you can come boldly into his presence to receive his love, grace, and mercy. And it doesn't matter what you did last night or last week. It doesn't matter what happened to you. That boldness is there. The accessibility is there because of the cleansing and because Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and beckoning you come. Come, little child, come to me today. Yes, you have needs. I want to meet those needs. Allow him, third or finally, to power you up to live for him, to power you up to live for him. You see, again, it isn't just, you know, come and get what you need, but then go out and be my communicator. Because there are people all around you in your workplaces, in your schools, in your neighborhoods that need to know what you've heard today that there is a high priest waiting to give them cleansing and a closeness to God that they need, and they aren't going to know unless you tell them. He wants to empower you, invigorate you, motivate you to do that and say, it's simply living with me so that you can live for me. Our high priest, kind of our buddy high priest, if that works. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for today and um, the chance to look at Jesus in a different sort of way. And I know for me, the whole high priest thing sounds so formal, but you, you needed so much to happen to, for this relationship. And, and Lord, it's all available for us now through our high priest, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for that. I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And yet you, did, you, you gave yourself up so um, readily, so willingly. Father, I just would just pray for anybody who doesn't yet have a relationship with Jesus. They would pray that now they would open themselves up to you. That they would figuratively or even literally put their hand forward and say, "I'm going to identify with your sacrifice, Jesus. I want to receive that. I put my faith in you. I want you. I want to receive your forgiveness and your leadership." And they can do that right now, Lord, in their heart. Father, for many of us here who have made that decision, it's an extend a hand to say, "I want to be. I want to live close to you. I want to stay close to you. I want to live for you." Thoroughly cleansed, receiving your mercy and grace and then being prompted to live like you, Jesus, because you're in me and telling others. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.